right. Good evening, everybody. <clears throat> we are in the book of 1 John. Go figure, huh? 1 John chapter 3, if you want to turn your Bibles there, I'd appreciate that. Uh, we're not using the extra spiritual version, the ESV tonight. We're using the CSV, so it, it's, it's almost as good. Almost as good. Yeah. Yeah, Hoyt, Hoyt said, like, like, cover as much as I need to cover. I'm like, oh, I'll just, I'll just finish the rest of the book. We're real close. But I, I'm not. I'm only going to go through the rest of the chapter. So uh, we're going to try to get through 24 today. I think, we'll, I think we have time to do that. I think we can manage that, okay? So uh, excited to, uh, to be able to teach. And uh, just it's neat. We have uh, so many gifted uh, leaders and teachers in our church. And we can share that burden. And uh, what, a, what a blessing it is. I know for me, uh, Hoyt is actually able to share the Word of God on, uh, on Sunday for us. And uh, that relieves me to to do a wedding and a wedding reception on Saturday and Sunday, so uh, I, I agreed gladly to take on tonight, um, although he's been doing a fantastic job going through the book of First John, just encouraging us from that text. So uh, tonight, I'd like us to, uh, to read the passage of Scripture, and uh, we will read it, and then we will pray together and go, uh, go over and find the truth and the nuggets of truth that we, we see there. So we're in First John chapter 3, we'll read verses 19 through 24. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the Spirit that he has given us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and God, that it is able to illuminate the heart, and God, judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So God, as we go to it tonight, as we go to learn from it, God, may you help us to be mindful of uh, the the condition of our own hearts. God, are we... Are we in the faith or are we not in the faith? And God, what are those things that assure us and point to the fact that we have believed in the Son of God? We thank you for tonight. We thank you for allowing us to gather and to worship you and to learn from your word. Bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we, uh, we're going into uh, the kind of the next section, and Hoyt has, Hoyt has talked about a couple of sections just before this, uh, one being, being verses 4 through 12, and it, it just it really regarded... Uh, that a believer in Christ has a true desire for holiness, a true desire to obey, and that, so that desire should be evident in our lives. And then in uh, 13 through 18, we, we saw this group of texts that really pointed to uh, this deep love that we should have for one another, compassion we should share for one another, compassion we should have for God. No? Yeah? You good? Did I get it wrong? I sound loud. I might be loud. It's okay. We can turn it down a little bit if Joey wants to do that. Sorry, Charity. I, I get intense. You know, I, I should calm down. I'm not preaching right now, right? I'm just teaching. But we've seen that kind of where we're, where we're headed. And, and as, John, as John heads into this next uh, part of the text, it says, this is how we know. So we really have to hold on to those, those two things right before. And, and what John is trying to do is, is reassure us. Because so often, once we come to faith in Christ, uh, we have this, the flesh that crawls up and creeps up and says, hey, listen, you're not good enough. You're bad. You're not in the faith. You, you don't really know what you're doing. And it just judges us and constantly wants to condemn us, right? Now listen, because of our sin, Scripture says that we all stand condemned. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. We're already condemned. 
Those who don't believe are condemned. So he came to, to save the world through him, so that through faith in Christ, you and I might, might enjoy a salvation that we could never accomplish outside of Jesus Christ, outside of faith in Christ. So once we come to faith in Christ, we come to Christ, and our faith is in Christ. It's not in good works. It's not in our own merit. It's not in our own ability, our own, even our own right thinking. Obviously, we need to have right thinking towards the gospel, but we don't, we don't always get all the doctrine right and all the exact things right. We, we come to Christ empty, desiring for him to fill us with his righteousness. We hunger and thirst for him. But when we do, uh, Satan continues to try to condemn. He continues to try to divide us and, and, and push us down. He wants us to, to, to kind of be more lethargic in our faith and kind of worrisome and anxi- have anxiety about, am I doing enough? Am I doing good? And, 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 judge, and judgment upon us as well. Like, hey, look, look at that attitude you had. You obviously aren't a Christian. And then we start to believe the lie instead of saying, get behind me, Satan. I'm, I stand redeemed in Christ Jesus. I stand righteous because of Christ. And certainly uh, that, that kind of a faith pr- should move us to a point of desiring to be holy, right? And desiring to love others and, and desiring to repent of our sin and turn towards him in faith constantly. It's not a once and done thing. So often we see that there's a, there's a couple different fallacies out there. That one, one that we have to continue to earn our salvation and keep it. That we are responsible to, to maintain it. That we are responsible for the end result, which is our salvation and the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And that is not it at all. God is responsible for that result. And God does the saving. We believe the gospel. We're called to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So that's what we do. And we, we stand true on that and firm on that. But, but here's something that, that is also a fallacy. Not just that I have to work really hard for it and continue to earn it and, keep, and earn my keep. But the other side of it is this, that, hey, once I said a prayer, it was a once and done kind of thing. I'm, it's all over. It's all good. No matter what happens, I'm good. I mean, I've been guilty of saying that before in my own, my own life, my own conversations early on, that, hey, just, just, we want to make sure you're going to heaven. Let's get this fire insurance, right? And that's not what faith in Christ is about either. Christ is a treasure. He is the Redeemer. He is the one that is fully righteous. And I, I, when, I, when I become righteous because of Christ, I, I become fully his. And I abide in him, and he abides in me, and there's this transformation that happens. So as John goes into here, he's trying to kind of defeat these scenarios of you, you're going to earn it and work hard and, 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 uh, and, and check, check it off the list, or, or the other one saying, hey, you're just once and done, and you're okay, you're covered, just go out and do whatever you want. He wants us to know how we can know that we have eternal life. So there's several things here we're going to look at tonight that, in these verses that show us and give us this assurance as we examine ourselves that, that we have eternal life, that we can know it's true in us, right? And, and, and we go off this, this passage in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to turn there in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 13. It's, it's just a real great admonition for us to examine ourselves. It says this in, in verse 5 of chapter 13. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not yourselves recognize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you fail the test. What's the, what's the test? Is Jesus in me? Or is he not? So test ourselves, examine ourselves. Is Christ in me? And how do we see that? That's what we're going to see tonight. That's what, what John's going to show us tonight. What, what, what we see in our own lives as fruit. As what God is doing in us, through us, by the power of his spirit. So uh, back to 1 John chapter 3. We look at, start at verse 19 and we'll look at verses 19 and 20. We see the first kind of thing is that we're, we're, we see God's grace. We're, we're reassured of our salvation by God's grace. And John says this, this is how we know. Well, this, he says, this is how we know, goes back to, listen, you're pursuing holiness. You're pursuing a love, a sacrificial love for 
the brethren. We know that you have compassion and grace, right? This is how we know we belong to the truth. And we'll reassure our hearts before him. We'll reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Here's what it means. is like as you see this fruit being produced, this genuine fruit being produced in your life of, of a desire to pursue holiness, not just like I need to shape up and act right and look right, but a desire. I want, I want to pursue holiness and a, and a desire to, to serve others in love and compassion, to meet needs and to, to, to rub shoulders and roll, rub elbows together and get down and dirty when you need to. That, that's part of this fruit that's seen. And this is how you know you belong to the truth. And that should reassure your hearts before him. Him being, hey, God is reassuring your heart. God is letting you know that there's, there's something changed inside of you. And that fruit that's being produced outwardly comes from me. And that, and that assurance is a means of grace that I have. And whenever our hearts condemn us, now this is the big thing, even for, for many in the faith, and he's certainly writing to people, hey, you might have a heart that condemns you. You better check it out. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to condemn and, 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 and to convict the world of sin. That, that Holy Spirit's telling us, hey, you're not worthy. You need, to, you need to bow yourself, humble yourself, repent of your sin, and turn to faith in Christ. So certainly a heart will condemn someone. But, but we need to test ourselves. What's really condemning? Is, is my heart condemning? Because my heart can fool me, right? Satan can get in there and start playing and say, oh, you're, you're not good enough. You, you shouldn't go today. You shouldn't show your face around there. I mean, all these things that Satan will try to, try to do. You, you know, don't serve in that capacity. You know, don't talk to that person. Don't go to your neighbors. They are, they'll think you're a hypocrite if you even mention Jesus. All these things that our hearts start to condemn us. God's like, no, who, who do you think you are? God is greater than our hearts. God's grace is greater than the condemnation we even, we even feel in our hearts once we have come to faith in Christ. He knows all things. But what does our assurance look like? If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, we see Paul write about this here as well. And we're in 2, 1 through 9. We see this assurance we can have, right? He says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Right? Yeah, yeah, there's condemnation. You were dead in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath as others were also. You see, they were carrying out their own desires. They, and they previously lived. And we have to understand that, that our heart will condemn us saying, remember how you lived? Remember how you once were? They're like, oh yeah, I was really bad. I, I, I don't deserve this. No, you don't deserve grace. That's the point. But you've received grace. You were previously lived that way, but now things have changed. He said, but God, who is rich in mercy, he's rich in mercy. He, he, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace, Paul says, with an exclamation mark after. I mean, it's, he's saying, listen, you are saved by grace. God's grace is enough. And by, by God extending grace and you understanding and receiving that grace through faith in Christ, it changes everything. And there's an assurance that wells up in you because of what he's done. You're saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ. This is our inheritance. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. He's like, I want to show off how much grace I've, been, I've given these people. I want to show it off by, by showing you that I've seated these people with me in the heavens. Not because they've earned it because I'm good. Not because they've earned it because I'm gracious. Not because they were good enough because I was good enough. Not because they were perfect, but because they're forgiven. For you are saved by grace through faith. 
This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Listen, His grace is enough. And, and, and only you can come to the Father and know that you have put your faith in His grace, that you've trusted in His grace, and that you're not trying to work on your own merit. And if you have, you, you know that grace, and you feel that grace, and you experience that grace and that fullness in Christ Jesus. Don't let your heart condemn you. You're like, well, my heart still condemns. We still condemn ourselves. Well, we go to Hebrews for this. The author of Hebrews in chapter 9 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling, sprinkling those are, uh, who are defiled, sanctify uh, for the purification of the flesh, like, hey, we're going to make people clean from just sprinkled blood, how much more, right? We still condemn ourselves, right? But how much more, he says, he says here, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Listen, let me ask you a question. How do we condemn ourselves? What are, what are some things we say or what are things that lies that come up from Satan? How, how do we condemn ourselves? What are some ways that our heart condemns ourselves? Dorinda, what's that? Yeah, our past. Absolutely. Our past, the, the, the person we used to be, right? He does. Satan makes you, he helps that out, right? He, he tempts us. He, he shows us and reveals us and he, he nudges us and whispers little lies, doesn't he? Because he's out there to, to devour. He's out there to steal, kill, and destroy. But how else do we condemn ourselves? So we have the past, right, and Satan's work. Right, yeah, so we think less of ourselves. We're, 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 we're stupid. We, don't, we can't know enough or we, we're not good enough, right? Now, Scripture says don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. But what we say, when we say, when we, we think of ourselves as be, or belittle ourselves, we actually are saying, I, I'm not worthy, right? I'm not worthy. I'm not, and, and, and in many ways we're not. That's why it's grace. But it's, we're saying that God, God couldn't love me. I'm too bad. And, and that con so the, the question or the answer was, uh, a way we condemn ourselves is we fall into sin, and then we condemn ourselves thinking that's not, not forgivable or not forgiven. And I think we even go further. Sometimes we think that's not forgiven or I messed up so bad. See, so, I'm such a mess up. I might, I, there's no hope for me. Might as well keep going. Might as well keep sinning, right? But we, have to, we do have to understand that there, that's, not, that's not what the, the body of Christ does. That's not what a believer does. But also when we sin, that we go to him, we find that, that there is no condemnation, that Christ has forgiven us. And when he's declared us righteous, we're righteous. And now we can move on, I think, and we repent, and we confess that sin, and we move forward. I think that's another thing that, a way we condemn ourselves. When we come to faith in Christ, when we mess up, the idea of repentance to Jesus, okay, I get that. 
But when we repent to brothers and sisters in Christ or people we've wronged, that's, that's very difficult. I think, I think one, day, one way we condemn ourselves is, is that shame pride. I should be better than this, and I don't want to expose how bad I've been. So if I've hurt or offended a coworker that doesn't know Jesus, or I've, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, like now I don't, I don't want to go to them. I don't want to apologize. I, I want to just kind of like let bygones be bygones, and, and well, I forgive, so maybe they'll forgive. Instead of going and saying, listen, I was wrong. That was not right. That, that was, did not line up with the word of God and what Jesus would have had me do. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against God. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And, and, and when we fall, I, I always call it falling on my own sword. Like I, I really try to do that as quickly as possible with people. Because I, when I fall on my own sword, I know that I, that I don't have any stronghold or handle that Satan has on me anymore. I've exposed it. I've expressed it. it it's, it's been confessed, right? So now I did that today with, with uh, Alistair in the office of just some, some things that I, I'm, I, I was struggling with lately. And I said, hey, come here. I just want to talk to you. I want to reason some things out. I want to let you know because he has my back. And just confessing that. I don't want to, I don't want to in pride because I could. I'm the pastor, right? I'm his, I'm his, his mentor and I, I want to help. But I, I, don't, I didn't want to be like, well, I'm strong enough. I should be stronger. I want to go to him and say, listen, I, I'm weak. I know, I know you understand this struggle. I'm weak, and I want you to help me and know this and pray for me, right? So exposing that and really saying that, that's, that's what shows that grace of God, that shows that my heart condemns myself, but God is greater than my heart. His grace is enough. He's greater than my heart. So he, he, he cleanses our consciousness from dead works, Hebrew says, uh, so that we can serve the living God. Uh, this, this idea of dead works, what, what, are, what are dead works? What do you think are dead works? Anything you do on your own, right? In order to earn favor, in order to earn your keep, to, to keep a status of some sort, right? Everything we do without saying, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you, you know, Lord, I, I, that's, it's, it's dead works. Satan loves us going after dead works. He loves us chasing down the legalistic, works-based righteousness. If you do enough, good, yeah, you'll, make, you'll feel good about yourself. No, we won't. There's not enough good in the world that would make us feel good about ourselves. At the end of the day, we are all desperately depraved and in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And only His goodness and only His righteousness can really fulfill us, right? So he, He's clearing our consciences of these dead works. That's not what we do. But we're still, He says, so that we can serve the living God. So it's, that's what sounds like works, doesn't it? Like we serve the li- living God. That's called faith-based righteousness, right? That, that's, that's offering myself in faith to God, the living God, because He's rich in mercy. It's not at all dead works. It's saying, God, I, I'm going to live for you. You died for me. You gave me righteousness that I didn't deserve through faith in Christ. I'm going to live for you now. It goes on in, in chapter 10, uh, he, the author of Hebrews in verses 19 through 25. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness or confident assurance, right, to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Right? He's given us access through him. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. Draw near with a true heart. Not a heart that condemns ourselves, right? But let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from what? From an, from an evil conscience. You see, our hearts condemn us, don't they? But through faith in Jesus Christ, we're we're sprinkled clean, and we have full assurance because we're clean, cleansed from that evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. It says then, here's some, here's some um, actions, right? Let draw near with true, true heart. Hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. 
Here's something that's really important to understand. When we talk about holding on to the confession of our hope without wavering, um, the confession of our hope is, is the truth of God's word. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are lots of people who, whose hearts don't condemn them when they fly, fly airplanes into buildings. They believe fully that that's what they're doing. That's, that's right. But they haven't tested it and ho- held on to a full confession of hope without wavering, the full confession of faith in Jesus Christ through the word of God. This is where we need to go. Because a lot of people can sear their minds and sear their hearts, can't they? We see the world doing it all the time. They, they sear their heart and say, this is exactly what I believe. This is exactly how I'm going to live. And they, and they don't think, give another thought about it. I think, I think deep down, I mean, the Holy Spirit is convicting them of sin. But they go all about their lives doing it over and over and over again. For you and I, we go to the Word of God, and we're informed by the Word of God and what it says. And it, it, it's the thing that we hold on to. Since he who promised is faithful, let us consider one another and provoke uh, love and good works, not neglecting the gathering together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other uh, all the more as you see the day approaching. You, you see this, this, this is an urgency, I believe. And it was, it was what happened today with Alistair and I. Like, I needed to, to share. I needed to talk with him, right? I needed to, to open up about some things. And I needed the brethren. We need the brethren. We need the gathering. We need to be part of that. And so often, when our hearts condemn us, what do we do? We isolate ourselves, right? We go somewhere else. We say, oh, I, I, I've got to figure this out before I can show my face around there again. And that's not what God is having for us. He says, I, I know your heart. I, I've cleansed your heart. If you have faith in Christ, your heart doesn't condemn you. We have this assurance and this confidence through faith in Christ. And we have peace. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, Hoyt said earlier, therefore, there is now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So stop condemning yourself. How do you, how do you know that you're a believer? Because, because we, we embrace the grace of God. And we know that the, the grace of God is enough. And I, I, don't, I don't buy into that works righteousness system. I don't buy into to that condemnation that my heart brings me. Now, when I'm convicted of sin, I move on that. And I, I go towards repentance and towards restoration. But I, I go towards the arms of Jesus and, and to the brethren for that. So we see that, that being reassured of God's grace. The next thing he sees here, there's a boldness in prayer. There's a boldness in prayer. If we keep going on in our text, it says, um, this is how we know that we belong to the truth, right? Going on to the, the holiness we pursue and the love that we show others. Uh, and, and we will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him. I think so often we, we let that condemnation in our hearts well up to a place of, I, I, I can't approach him. I can't, I can't, you know, it's, he was gracious, but I, I don't know, I need to stay away a little bit. I need to give some space because I just feel so much shame there. God's like, no, you're, I made you righteous. God says, now you're righteous. Now stand righteous. Stand boldly with confidence before me. Hebrews 4, 4 16, let us approach the throne of grace with what? Boldness, with confidence. Like, hey, we can stand before God. We can enter the holy place because we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. We stand with, bo- with a boldness before God and, 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 uh, and, and we might receive what? Mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you feel low, when you feel unworthy, you, that's exactly when you approach Him with confidence because He says, I've got grace for you. I've got mercy for you. I've got an ear to hear what you would ask. So we should have boldness in our pursuit of God, boldness in our in our prayers, right, as we pray to God, offer ourselves to God. What, what do you think, I don't want to word that, 
What does God desire your heart to desire? What does God want your heart to desire? To honor Him? With, with, to love Him with all your heart? Yeah. God, God just wants you to come and want Him. And want to serve Him and want to love Him. And, and that's the kind of confidence that we have. We, we approach the God of grace with confidence. And we receive mercy in our hour and time of need. We approach Him with confidence, boldness. Saying, I, I delight in you. I treasure you. I can... I can come up before you because you have forgiven me. I can talk with you. I can, I can approach you. I can call you Father. There's a relationship to be had there. I love this passage in Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, this, this, this delighting in the Lord, there's a, lot, there's a lot to this, and we don't have time to unpack that tonight. But when we say we, we want to delight ourselves in the Lord, it is that I am, I am embracing the will of God. I am passionately pursuing his grace and His mercy. I delight in Him. I, I take pleasure in what He takes pleasure in. And it's this confident and content and obedient faith is what delight in the Lord is. So delight yourself in the Lord and what He'll give you the desires of your heart. So when we go before Him confidently, content, in obedient faith, what does that give us? That gives us, first of all, an intimacy with God, a connection with God, a delight in God. And then he gives us our desires, the desires of our heart. Who do you think at that point is controlling your desires? Who do you think is informing your desires? How is it that we can approach him with boldness? John says in 21 and 22a, dear friends, if our hearts condemn us, we have confidence before God. Even then, especially then, we can approach him with, for grace and mercy, right? And, and we, we have confidence before God, boldness before God, and we receive whatever we ask from him. Why? Because we're aligning our hearts with his desire. We're delighting ourselves in him. So that's a test we do. I, am, am I confident in God's grace? Am I reassured in his grace enough that I can approach him boldly in prayer? Listen, if you're, if you're timid in some way, if you're like, I'm not going to pray, I don't, I don't want to bother God with these things, like, you may examine and say, see that you're not in the faith, that you don't have this relationship with God. You don't have a, a confidence because you, you're not forgiven. You, you're so far away in your pride or your shame or your guilt and so far removed you haven't, you haven't even understood the mercy of God. But when we have understood the mercy of God, when we've delighted our heart in Him, we just wrap ourselves up in Him. We approach Him with confidence, call Him Father, and we delight ourselves in Him, and He changes our desires, and we align ourselves in His desires. And that leads us to the next thing we see in this text, in the last part of 22, that we have this submission, surrender to God's commands. So, so reading 22, it says, we receive whatever we ask from Him, because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now, this is, this is difficult because we could see this and say, wait a minute. It's, it's, this, it's this if and or if then thing, right? It, if, I, if I do what he asks me to do, then he'll hear my prayer. And that's not how God operates, right? What we have to understand is that doing what he commands is something that's pleasing in his sight. So what he wants is not us to check it off. And see, this is exactly what Satan will do to make this dead works, right? If you just would follow the rules and straighten up and, and select and check off all the boxes, then God will approve of you and you could even pray then, right? No, 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 it's not that at all. What, what does it say? It says that it, it's got to be pleasing in his sight, right? Doing his commands, that things that are pleasing in his sight, not, 
not just doing the things that would please him, but doing the things because he's pleased by you doing them. Right? The motivation is behind that. There's a motivation of love that happens there. So how, what would motivate us to keep his commands? What would motivate us to keep his commands? Love? Lo- love loving him or him loving us? Both? That we love him? Yeah, what, what motivates us? What, what motivates some people? Greed, self, fear, money, yeah, yeah, selfish gain, status, I mean, all of that, right? So, you, and, and that line, that, that we draw that line, and because the action can look so similar, but the motivation behind it is the difference, and it's a huge difference, right? So, we, we can surround ourselves in a church with all kinds of people that have all kinds of motivations for keeping His commands. What God wants, and what John is reassuring us, like if you are, in, He's saying, how do you know you're in the faith? Because you just, wh- whatever you do in obedience to him is because you want to please him. You want to be pleasing to him. You want to see your daddy smile. I see it with my children. I see it with my, my children all the time, right? A lot of times, I just see like, daddy, what, what do you want me to do? What can I do for you? And I see that they, they have pleasure in doing what I've asked them to do. And then there are days they're like, what do you want me to do? There's no pleasure. I mean, the same job got done, probably a little bit differently, but the same job got accomplished, but the relationship was way different, wasn't it? There was no confidence in there. There was no pleasure in there. There was no smile on my face when they came inside, when they did it just to do it, right? You understand that? Like, like I, okay, they did it. They obey, obeyed. I guess that's all I needed. To, that's all I'm going to get today. And So there's no, like, joy in my heart and smile on my face, maybe because they're learning to work, but, but when they do it willingly, to please their mother or I, or to please somebody else out of service and out of love, oh man, that makes me smile. It is such a joy. I mean, it, it's a, such a joy, it like brings tears to my eyes, right? Even, even if they do it wrong, it's just because they had the desire to do it for their parent. See, that's what God wants. He's like, that, that's, what, that's the proof you need. Do, do you want to know that you belong to Jesus? Do you want to know that you're in the faith? Do you desire to please Jesus? Do you you long to see him smile at the end of the day and say, well done. I'm so proud of you. Way to go. That's, that's what John is saying here. Submit to God's commands. So it goes on, it says, or in John 15, I'll read a passage in John 15, 7 through 15. If you remain in me, this is Jesus speaking, and, and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want. This kind of goes back to the last one about prayer, right? Ask for whatever you want, and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, right? Glorified, honored, esteemed by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, we're kind of getting in that legalistic line, like, oh, wait a minute, are we just doing goods to prove? Are we just, are we just glorifying God by our actions? Well, certainly that's, that's part of it, but it goes on. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love, Right? Be motivated by my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Jesus didn't do it because He was just checking off the list. He did it because He loved the Father deeply, right? He says, I've told you these things, that that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be what? Full or complete, right? That that we'll have joy. it, It is our joy. We delight ourselves in the Lord. It's our joy to do what is pleasing to our Father. 
This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Look what he says next. You are my friends. What term did he use? Friends. You're my friends. If you do what I command, you're my friends. I do not call you servants anymore. What's the difference between a friend and a servant? Servant is someone I what? They do what they're obligated to do. That's all I ask of them, what you're obligated. Right? What's a friend? Someone that's, that's got your back, that's got your heart. Right? Someone that's sharing a passion and a zeal. He says, you're not, you're not servants anymore because servants, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I, I've, I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. I'm sharing my heart. I'm sharing my life. I'm sharing the truth of what brings freedom, what brings real joy, making your joy complete. The author of Hebrews, again, in chapter 13, says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he what equip you with everything good to do his will working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's not just, he's equipping you to do his will. Like, hey, it's like a military thing, right? Here you go, here's your, here's your rucksack, here's your boots, here's your uniform, here's your hat, here's your gun, here's your ammo, here's your, go. He's like, I'm, I'm going to equip you to do my will, right? And he says, I equip you to do his will, working in us, our heart, what is pleasing in his sight. Are you pleasing to God? Is your obedience pleasing to God? Do you submit to God's commands out of a motivation of love, out of a desire to know Him more? That's, that's a test. Christ followers do. They desire that. They desire to please God and, and serve Him and obey Him because they love Him and He loves them. Then we see this deep-rooted faith. That's the next thing we see is a deep-rooted faith. John 3, 23. Now this is his command. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he's commanded. That we believe. That we believe and we believe, and it's not a once and done, it's a continually believe. Continue to put your faith in him, be reassured in him. The word of God was written, right? John 20, 31, it says these are written that you might believe. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one you need. It's not just a good teacher. It's not someone just to, to embrace when you feel like it. It's, it's the one that you've got to believe in, that you've got to rest your, your, all your assurance in. You have to have this deep faith in Jesus Christ. And that by believing, you'd have life in His name. Christians have life in Christ and through faith in Christ. And, and yes, there was that moment in time where you could probably say, yeah, back in this, in this season or this day or this, this time during my life, this is when I came to know Christ as Savior. This is when, I, when He drew me into a relationship. This is when I, I professed Him by faith that He was my Savior. But if your testimony stopped then, you've got a question. What John is saying is you're going to believe. You're going to believe and you're going to love one another. This is going to grow. It's going to be a continual belief. The tense of the word means it's continually believing. Continually believing. Not that that's a, pre, a precursor or a requirement that, oh, shoot, you stop believing, sorry, you're done. It's test yourself. Was, was your belief just like, oh, I heard and it tickled my ears and it sounded good, and it, but now it's not? 
Or was it a belief that said, yeah, I, I embraced Christ in faith and he has done everything and changed everything in me. And I continually, every corner of my life, every circumstance of my life, every day of my life, rest my hope in him, in my faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5, I read part of this earlier. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God, right, through faith. We're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's this fruit that begins to be produced here. There's a progression of this faith and what happens in our lives. It's not just, I've got it all figured out today and I'm growing. I, I've shared my vulnerability earlier. Like, I, I'm growing in this. I'm learning this. I, I won't see this fulfilled totally until I see Jesus face to face. He says, we're justified, justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've also obtained access through him by faith into this grace which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Like we put all our eggs in one basket. We're all in with Jesus Christ. Not only that, we boast in our afflictions, right? The, the trials that come our way because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope won't disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we see this deep-rooted faith, the, the, the notion that, man, my hope is increasing. Even in trials, even as, as I go through endurance and those things, my hope is increasing in Jesus Christ. That's, that's that deep-rooted faith. If you're still holding on to a once-and-done 30 years ago, like, yeah, back at VBS in 2019, whatever, if, if there's not this, this fruit being produced, we have to ask ourselves, did I really make a profession of faith in Christ? Did I really believe the gospel? Did I really let it transform my life? There should be a fruit that's produced here. So deep-rooted fruit in our life points to deep-rooted faith. That's a test. Do you have deep-rooted fruit? Is that hope welling up in you? And it said because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through what? Through the Holy Spirit who has given us. That's the last thing John says here in verse 24. We find comfort from the Holy Spirit. This, this uh, or the one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains is us, in us is from the Holy Spirit that he has given us. God has given us the Holy Spirit. Through faith in Christ, we are now indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I want to read a little, little thing out of my commentary that I just I couldn't do it justice. You, you think about the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh yeah, I know I have the Holy Spirit. How do you know? How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? What's that? What's well, promised through faith in Christ but once we have faith in Christ, how do we know that he's there? Oh, yeah. Enlightens us through, through the explanation of the scriptures. We read it, right? The Spirit testifies to us, right? But, the, but God's Spirit produces something in us, does something in us, right? So I, I want to read this little passage out of, of John 3. He's talking to Nicodemus about being born again, and he talks about the Spirit. He said, The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's really hard to see the Spirit. But what do you see? You see the effects of the Spirit. You see the fruit of the Spirit. And we trust God. Here, here's, here's some things that the Spirit does. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, He makes saints uh, spiritually dead souls alive he uh, he, get, he gave sight to their blind eyes and caused their sinful hearts to repent this is what the holy spirit is doing 
he drew them in, in through faith in Jesus Christ. It was the Spirit who placed them into the body of Christ. It was the Spirit who gifted them for ministry in the church. It is through His illumination uh, and, and inspiration and instruction that Scripture comes alive for believers as they read and meditate on it. The Spirit also energizes the saints' prayers and intercedes for them. He leads and guides Christians and assures them that they are His children. Well, yeah, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. These are all fruits and assurances that we have an inheritance, that we will be with Him in heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the work of the Spirit of God. I, I want to read one last thing. Go to, go to Second Peter with me, if you can. We're just about done here. Second Peter, chapter one. I'm going to read verses one through fifteen. I just think it was a it was a really profound passage of scripture. Second Peter one one through fifteen. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing this right to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse two. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Very important to hold on to that. That grace and peace will be multiplied to you through our knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power. Whose divine power? God's, right? Through the power of the Spirit has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us every great and precious uh, promise, or very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world because of evil desire. For this reason, for what reason? That we have this divine power inside of us that God has given us by the power of the Spirit to escape the corruption of the world and embrace the promises of God. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted to the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, the knowledge, and it's, uh, sorry, and it's forgotten. Let me restart over in verse 9. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing of his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Therefore, and this is, I love this reminder Peter gives, therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. You th think about that reminder. So, so Peter's saying, listen, there's this divine power that you have that you can continue to pursue godliness and pr pursue these things and grow in these things as you grow in your faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let, let the fruit of the Holy Spirit come out of that and find comfort that you have the Holy Spirit producing this in you that you won't be uh, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, I want, you to, I want to remind you about these things, even though you know them. Isn't it so important for us to have that reminder? constantly like i mean every week it's just hey i want to remind you i want to remind you i want to remind you of this goodness and put ourselves in positions where others will remind us as well i want to remind you about these things even though uh, you know about them and are established in them i think it is right as long as i'm in this bodily tent he's like as long as i'm alive i want to wake you up with a reminder 
since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ had indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at the time after my departure. Peter's like, I, wake up, church, wake up and know the power of the Holy Spirit. Wake up and know what's indwelling you. Wake up and know the fruit you can produce and see produce through, through yielding to the knowledge of him. Right? But say, be mindful, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to see that multiplied. It doesn't, it's not a once and done thing. John knew that, and he's writing here to the church saying, listen, it's, it's, this is eternal. This is an ongoing belief and ongoing assurance and ongoing confidence. So, so continue to grow in your affections for Christ and, and your affections for one another and continue to grow in these ways so you, they'll keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, well, let's pray together and uh, we'll go into our Q&A time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active, that it's, that it's able to, to really judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. God, we, we, do, we do appreciate that so much. And God, as we come to it, may, may you have illuminated our heart. May you have wrecked us, maybe God, of, uh, and conv- convicted us of sin. God, whatever, whatever your, your desire is, that we would, we would be yielded to you, to your word and to your spirit. But God, we wouldn't do it in a, in a, in a way that's of dead works, that we would do it in a way that's living. God, that's, that's a desire as your children to do what is pleasing in your sight. We thank you for your great love for us. May it motivate us to continue to be steadfast in our deep-rooted faith and hope we have in Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.